So if you got your Bibles, we started this little study last weekend called Thrive. Uh, how to thrive in the midst of difficult circumstances. And you, you remember that as Peter's writing this, he's at the end of Nero's reign, uh, or towards the end. In fact, Nero probably is the one who's going to have Peter killed. A uh, lot of persecution of believers. They're walking through some really difficult days. As a Christian, in some places in the Roman Empire, people wouldn't buy from you whatever you made. They wouldn't sell to you. It was just a difficult time to name the name of Christ. And, and so Peter writes these two little books, First and Second Peter, to encourage the believers and to remind them that because of God's great grace, they can continue to blossom, to thrive, to become better, to become more like Jesus in these difficult times. And if you remember last week, we looked at verses 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted us already everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And we were, we were talking about how that if you belong to Jesus, you know him, you've put your faith in him, God has already granted you everything you need in this life to grow and to mature, to become complete in him. We looked at Ephesians 1, 3, where Paul reminds us that he already has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So, as Peter says here, grace and peace be multiplied. Every moment of grace, every moment of peace, every moment of strength, God has already provided to you as a child of God. All we are called to do now is to lean into Jesus, grow in our knowledge of him, both our, our, our knowledge base, but also our experiential knowledge of him. And then that leads us now to, to verse 4, which is such an incredible verse, one of, one of my favorites. He says this, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now one of the things when you do Bible study is you want to be careful to not skip over things. You know, sometimes uh, you read that, so now uh, for by these things. And it's easy sometimes just to kind of get lost. It's not that important. Let's move on. But, but this is crucially important. What does he need, mean by for by these things? Now, I would remind you that when Peter wrote this, he did not write this in chapters and verses. Right? He wrote it as one unified letter. And later on in history, they broke it down for us so it would be easier for us on a Sunday morning to say, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, right? So what does he mean? Well, if you immediately go ahead back into verse 3, notice what he says, who has called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, I think what Peter's referencing here 
is this idea of glory and excellence. So as he's going to talk about these great and magnificent promises, the first thing he does is he reminds us that there's a foundation for them. That these things are rooted in something. The first thing is that the promises of God to us as his children are rooted in the power or the glory of God. Remember what he says there, end of verse 3. Don't miss it. Who called us by his own glory and excellence. When I think of glory, I like to think, you know, you think of deity, right? You think of God. You think of his power. In, in my mind, I immediately ran to John 1. Right? John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then you get on to 14. And that Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father. And then John begins to lay out in his book these incredible, miraculous stories of, of, of Jesus doing great and powerful miracles, revealing the glory of God. In fact, he gets to the end of the book. He says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so when you think of glory, you think of God's power, his ability to be able to do what he promises to do. You know, a lot of times people will make promises. But they don't always have the ability to make them happen, right? It's probably why so often we get so disenfranchised with our political system. You know, we... We, we have them tell us what they're going to do, and then you vote for them. And then they get there, and they don't get it done. Well, the truth is a lot of times they don't have the ability to get it done, right? Because they're not the party in power or whatever. Well, that's not the problem with God. God, God has the power. He is God, right? He can do everything he promises. There's not one circumstance in this world that can keep God from keeping his promises to you. Because God is greater. But it's not just rooted in his power. It's also rooted in his excellence. His character. That our God is a God of integrity, right? Our God cannot lie, can he? he he's holy. He's just. He's righteous. He, there, he, he is a God who cannot lie. He cannot tell you and promise you this and then switch and, and decide to do something else. He keeps his word. He's a, he's a God of excellence and character. Man, are we in some short supply of that today, right? Where, where you, you can count it. I, I was reading this, this story. It was told by uh, Booker T. Washington in his, his little book, uh, uh, Up From Slavery. And he talks about a man who had been a slave in Virginia and a few years before the Civil War and the Emancipation Proclamation, he had made a, a deal with his master that he would be able to buy his freedom for a certain cost and uh, that he could, he could go, he could work, he could send the money back, and, uh, and he had done that. Well, of course, in the midst of all this, Civil War happens, they're set free, but Booker T. Washington met him 
as he was traveling back from Ohio where he had moved. And he was traveling back to pay the last $300 for his, his freedom. And the question is, you understand, you don't have to pay this, right? You, you're, you're already free. He said, yes, but I gave my word. He says, I would never be able to enjoy my freedom if I didn't fulfill what I told him I would do. And he paid every last penny plus interest. Now, man, I, I don't know about you, but I look at that and I think, man, you talk integrity. That, that's integrity. But Jesus' integrity is far greater than that. He's God. He cannot lie. He cannot promise and then withhold. He, he has to keep his word. And, and so what Peter is trying to remind us of is that his promises, these great magnificent promises we're going to talk about in a moment, are, are not just pie in the sky. They're not just wishful thinking. They're just not hopeful things. These are actually rooted. They are, they are driven into the foundation that, number one, he's God, so he has the power to do it. Number two, his excellency, he is a, he is a God of integrity and he must keep his word. He must keep his promises. And so this is what he says. For by these, his glory and his excellence, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Now, when, when you think about the scope of his promises, again, I push you back up to chapter, to verse 3 here. Uh, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, that his promises deal with everything that, that we need. We talked a little bit about that. And, and he uses these two words here. He says to us his precious and magnificent. The word precious means high value, costly. Probably in our language, uh, the best word we would probably use is priceless. In fact, I, I got thinking about it. Do you remember back in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter's talking about their salvation and says, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with precious blood as of a lamb without the slain, right? It's the same word. It's of such great value. It's, it's beyond monetary. It's beyond money. It's beyond what you could imagine it being. His promises are of such great value. They are so costly. The word magnificent there means has the idea of greatest. The, the, the greatest of the great. The, these are the best. These are the things that will sustain you. These are the things that will walk you through. These are the things that you can stand on in the midst of difficult times. And they won't defeat you. And they won't destroy you. But they will actually cause you to thrive. That's how great these promises are. Now, the question is, what are his promises to us? And the problem is, we don't have enough time, right? Because I've got to do this three times today. So the hard part is, is how do you kind of whittle it down? And so I've whittled it down to these, which I 
probably mean that they mean a whole lot to me. And I couldn't help but think as I was starting to preach it that maybe this is the one that I'm most thankful for. Do you know what is promise to you is is that and his promise to me is that he will never hold our sin against us never sometimes in those quiet moments of reflection and I think back to those moments and you know the enemy wants to kind of sit there on your shoulder right and whisper into your heart of how could God love you look remember what you did how could you think that God would keep his promise to you when you have been so unfaithful? How do you think that somehow God could use you? And yet standing there is the promise that, that God has given us that I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. He will never hold it against us. It's never in the back of his mind. He has forgiven it. He has washed it clean in the blood of Christ. Though your sin be as scarlet, yet it will be white like snow. That's his precious and magnificent promise. And that leads us into another promise. And the fact that he loves us. He accepts us. That he knows us personally. He cares about us. I love Ephesians 1. He predestined us to adoption as sons. He made us a part of the family. He, he saw us in our state and he came and he took us as his very own. And then I love that last part, who bestowed upon us who are in the beloved. Folk, you are in the inner circle of God. Did you know that? I mean, so often we think of God and taking care of the whole universe and we show up, right? He's Got all this going on. Do you know when you show up in his presence, man, you catch his eye. That smile comes on his face. You are the apple of his eye. You are a part of the beloved. And I don't care what you're going through today. And I don't care how maybe the, the world and the enemy is whispering in your ear that somehow God doesn't care about you. No, 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 no. You're loved. You're accepted. You're a part of the beloved. He knows right where you are. In fact, so much so, his promise is that he lives inside of you. He lives inside of you. You know, sometimes when you go through difficult stuff, I know I've been there. Sometimes God can see distant, right? Have you ever prayed and you feel like your prayer isn't going any higher than the ceiling? Oh, it's a frustrating place to be. And the enemy just sits there again and says, listen, God doesn't know. God doesn't care. You know, you, you've screw, screwed up. And the truth is, my prayer doesn't have to go there because he lives here. Right? This morning, he's in me. If you know Jesus this morning, he is in you. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have of God? He is in you. And because of that, the promise is he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. In those moments when, when, when somehow it looks like just life, you know, you think of Job. God knew. In fact, what I find is, is that though God will never leave us, sometimes we make decisions to walk away from him, right? Right? The ebb and flow, the journey of our life, 
not every decision that we make is always to lean into Jesus fully. Can we just be honest about that, right? And so sometimes when we made some of those decisions, we, the enemy, you know, again, whispers, well, you've walked away, you, you've let him down. Why, why would he care? But the truth is he lives inside of me and he will never leave me. He'll never forsake me. Even in those moments when, when maybe I've left him. That's his promise. And he has to keep his word. And then you think about his promise that he's given us everlasting life. And that for us, death is a promotion. I couldn't, you know, I've kind of wondered. I know a lot of us get it, but I've kind of wondered during this whole COVID period if, if somehow, some way, it's some of this hasn't shown a little bit of a weakness in our theology. Because on the one hand, God's given us a love for life, right? Absolutely. He has. You know, I, I want to be here, right? I, I want to be here with my wife. I want to be here with my kids. I really want to be here with my grandkids, right? I've actually just watched in this last year and a half the, the sorrow, the grief that my mom has had to walk through in losing my dad and that my kids have had to, with losing their grandpa and my great grand or my grandkids or great grandpa. And I, I don't want my family to have to deal with that. I want Jesus to come back, right? We'll all go together. That would be the best way. Amen, amen. But. We have a love for life, and there's nothing wrong. And so we're wise, and we're, we have wisdom. But folks, do we not understand that the day that we go home is going to be the best day of our life? You remember that old song back in the 70s? Just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven of touching a hand and finding it God's, of breathing new air and finding it celestial, (laughs) of waking up in glory and finding it home. You know what? I did some reading and I looked. Do you know there aren't going to be any elections in heaven? (laughs) There's going to be no change of administrations, good or bad. There's there's not going to be any division. There's not going to be any rioting. There's not going to be any hatred. There's not going to be any suppression. There's not... Man, what a glorious day. What a glorious day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and life. He who lives and believes in me, even though he dies, yet he's going to live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And that's the thing. He understood life way better than we do. Yes, there will come a day if he doesn't return where these lungs are going to breathe their last breath and this heart's going to beat the last time. But Steve ain't dead. This body will be. But for me to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I tell you, in that day, and if that happens, some, you know, God forbid something happens this week, you can mourn for my wife and you can mourn for my kids and my grandkids because I'm a really good grandpa. They're going to miss me. But don't mourn for me because I'm going to have a better day than you are. The precious and magnificent promises upon which we stand. Do you get what Peter's trying to say here? You and I can thrive in the most of, midst of difficult time. What about the, 
promise of purpose in this life. Man, for me, this is huge. You all know my story. I was 28 years old and my wife passed away. Left with this little baby to raise and I despaired of life. And so often I, I just whisper to the Lord, Lord, why? Why would, you, why would I have to walk through this? Why didn't you just take me home? And the only thing I could get back was, you know, I'm not done with you yet. You still have purpose here. Well, you know what? I'm 32 years down the line, and I maybe can kind of see that now. He still had some stuff for me. And, folk, if you're here and you're still breathing oxygen, he's got something for you to do. Jesus, on that night that he was raised from the dead, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. We are here to live Jesus. And with our last breath, we are here to live Jesus. We're to live him with our life. We're to share him with our lips. We have a purpose in life. Not only that, but the, the reality is we have a promise that if you and I live well and we live for, for that day when we stand before him, there's a promise of reward. Right? Where if we walk faithfully before him, that when we stand before him, we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. We don't have time to go into all that that means. And, but, but the reality is, as Jesus told that story, you were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of a lot. I'm not exactly sure what all that means. All I know is, man, on that day, for everything we've done for him, there will be, there will be a reward. There will be, there will be an accounting. There will be a... Well done. We talked about last week, his promise of peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. We have his promise of strength. Be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. You know, there's sometimes when we go through difficult times when, when it just feels like we, we can't go one more step. Well, that's okay because he's there. He's there. And here's the thing I've learned in my life is when you think about peace and you think about strength and you think about grace and you think about all of these promises we have, God promises them to us in the moment of need. You know, so often what we do is we, we vision trip and we get out to how am I going to deal with this tomorrow? You know, if all this continues to happen, what's it going to look like tomorrow or the next week or the next month? And, and anxiety begins to build in. And here's the reality. God doesn't give you peace for next week today. You don't need it. What you need is peace for today. What you need is grace for today. What you need is strength for today. And then when you get to tomorrow, guess what? He gives you grace and strength and peace and everything that you need for the day. We live in the moment and the promises that when we get to those things that maybe in our heart we, 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 we seek or that are coming, God will provide it then. And so we rest in his promise. What about his promise for wisdom? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. You want to try and figure it out. What, what is he wanting to do in my life? Just ask. His promise is he'll answer. What about his promise for guidance? In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. James already mentioned Psalm 121, one of my favorite psalms. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From whence comes my help, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. It's a song of ascent. 
as they climbed up to Jerusalem for the feast. Rocky terrain. You look to him for your help. He will not allow your foot to slip. What about his promise of joy? That in the midst of difficulty, we can know his joy. What's the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace. We could have probably listed all these things. Folks, this is what he means. Let's read it again. For by these, by his glory and his power, his excellence and his character, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world. How do we thrive? We stand on the promises of God. In the midst of difficulty, we stand on the God's promises to us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. That he's so great that he can use anything in our life to use it for our good. That he's in the process of conforming us to the image of Christ. That he'll never leave us, never forsake us. And what Peter says, as you do that, what you're doing is, is that you are sharing the very nature of God. His nature of holiness and righteousness. Now let's take a little caveat here. He's not talking about the essence of God or the being of God. He's, it, Peter was not a Gnostic that somehow, you know, we become little gods. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about, if a man is in Christ, he is a new creation. We've been given a new nature. It's a nature of holiness. It's a nature of purity. It's a nature that reflects the nature of Christ. And his whole point here is this. As difficulty comes and we stand in the promises of God, we are taking, we are sharing in the very nature of God. And that's allowing us to break out of the corruption of this world. You see, this world is in a downward devolution. Sin, I mean... Man, if there's one thing we can see, right, is, is that. We're, we're, we're just, we're getting, our, our world is getting more and more crazy, right? With all the advances in technology and all the advancements of here, of knowledge, supposedly. Man, it's in a downward spiral. In fact, the word corruption there that he uses, the corruption of this world, it's a, it, it's, Basically, it's the idea of decomposition, rot. It's decomposing. But you and I have escaped that because through the, the promises of God that he is with us, that he lives inside of us, that he's working to make us like Christ, that he's giving us his peace, his grace, his strength. We're on an upward trajectory of sanctification. At the same time, the world is devolving in the, in the corruption. He is making us better. He is making us more like Christ. He is, he is building into us the, the things that make us better people, better to love others. And so how do we thrive in the midst of, of, of difficulty? We thrive when we stand in. And we stand on the promises of God to us, no matter what the circumstances. Because, because there's no circumstance in this world that can keep God from keeping his promises to you. It's just, it doesn't exist. Because he is God, 
And because he is a person of integrity, he will always keep his promises. And we, we stand in those promises. We hold to those promises. We lean in to Jesus through his promises. And that's how we, we thrive. That's why it all begins with knowing Jesus. Because you can't stand in his promises until you start with the biggie. And that is that if you ask him into your life, he'll forgive you and make you his child. That's where it all begins.